I love what is going on in the lobby. I, I don't know about you, but I love those lights. I love the tree. Isn't that a funky tree that we have out there? That thing is like gnarly. And I thought it was a bush when they pulled it in, but it's like a tree. And I love the food of the holiday season and the music and all the stuff that goes with it. And I love it not just today, but all the way through, all the way up to Christmas, as long as I don't get too stressed out. And that's easier said than done, right? It's really easy to get stressed. But, you know, I, one of the things I'm working on, I get better every year, is... Uh, you know, trying to avoid that hyper-consumerism or trying to avoid that thing of trying to make the perfect Christmas experience for kids or grandkids. And the more that I can just stay away from that stuff that leads down a rabbit hole that just brings on stress and keep focusing on Christ throughout the entire holiday season, the better I do. And that's what I love about Advent. Advent really means, that word means uh, the coming. It means the expectation or arrival and so that's what we expect. That's what we focus on. And it's a Christian tradition that takes those four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and it just focuses attention on that. And so we're going to do that. And I want to challenge you to do that. Matter of fact, we have a prayer card. I think I have it in my back pocket. Yep. Uh, but we have a prayer, a, a kind of a Bible reading and prayer card that you can use during this Advent season. It goes along with the series that we're going to be in. And bring this, um, you can get this at, out in the lobby at the information counter. And uh, just get these, bring them home, and stay in God's word throughout Advent. And just focus on Christ during Advent. This will help you. So, hey, we're going to start a new, uh, a new series, though. And it's called The Family Tree. And it's our Advent series. And now, speaking of trees, I just want just to kind of survey really quickly, if you'll, if you'll allow me to do this. I want to find out. Have, has everyone set up their tree yet? I mean, not, I know some of you don't do trees. That's fine. But wow, this is, I'm going to, we're going to need a little more energy here. So we're going to break this down a little bit. I want to know, like, how many of you, you're the kind of family, you're the kind of people that you go down to the basement, you pull up the box, you have the artificial tree, you put it in those three little poles, right? It's got lights already going. You plug it in, you're done. How many of you are artificial tree people, families. Come on, own it, man. Own it. A lot of you. Love that. And then there's this other group, right? This other group that, you know, you don't want to just kind of sell out like at that level. So you're going to, you want to smell the tree and everything, but you don't want to go all in. You don't want to spend the whole day doing it, but you're going to go to the lot. You're going to pick a tree out, it's already been cut down. You're going to bring it home. You put it in the tree stand. You're going to put water in the tree stand. You're going to try and help it stand straight, not get into many arguments, go from a happy Christmas to a sad one, and, and you get to smell the tree in your living room. Any of you? How many of you? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this other third group. You're not happy until you kill something. You want... You want to go up into the woods, you want to get your Clark Griswold station wagon, go out into the woods, trench through the snow till you can't feel your legs, pick out the perfect tree, slice that baby down, squirrels go flying, you bring that home and you set it up and you spend the whole day into the night putting on lights and putting on ornaments. How many of you are there? I'm with you if you're, if you're with me. Just a few of you. Wow, I love that. That's our Christmas tradition. 
I mean, we're not done until 9 p.m. at night putting all of our, every single ornament we own, have owned for 32 years. We put them all up, every single one of them. Now, we're talking about the family tree, but back in Bible times, the family tree had nothing to do with an evergreen. It had everything to do with people. Matter of fact, it had to do with your dad and mom and your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And, and, and it would go all the way back, your lineage, until you could discover that really important person. Maybe it was Jacob or it was King David or whoever. And the family tree was a huge deal, big deal, big deal, because it, it spoke about your identity. It had to do with your story, the story of your life. And people would have it memorized. I mean, the average, many people could go back like 14 generations and not only tell you the names, but tell you the story that went behind each generation. And they still are able to do that in many cultures, the oral cultures of the world. And it's important because it authenticates you. It qualifies you. It's like your resume. You know, if you're into art, it's, it, it spoke of your portfolio. If you're a videographer, it's your reel. I mean, it's, it's the thing that opened up doors for you and gave opportunity. So we're going to look at the family tree of Jesus. And first, it's important to remember that Jesus had scores of prophecies spoken about him hundreds of years before he ever arrived. After Christ's birth, the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, and you'll remember Herod gathered the chief priests and the scribes, and he brought them together, and he said, where is the Messiah going to be born? And what they did, you'll read about this in Matthew chapter 2, is they, they referenced a prophecy from Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which had been given 700 years previous about where Jesus would be born and that it would be Jesus. And so let's read that, and we'll start here in Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter. Now, Bethlehem was kind of an insignificant place, kind of not just like a one-light stop, kind of like being born in like Ritzville or Chewila or something. I mean, it was a, it was, it was just a small little place. And, and it's, but, it, but yet it says, from you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. So see, big things can come out of small places and he'll be no upstart, no pretender. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. Speaking about where Jesus would be born and that it would be Jesus and he would have a family tree traced all the way back to Abraham. Matter of fact, if you were to trace it even further, it'd go all the way back to Adam, right? We're going to start by looking at a piece of the Christmas story that we often just kind of breeze over really fast. It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to look at the family tree of Jesus. This stuff's exciting. If you have a Bible, open it up with me, starting in verse 1, chapter 1, Gospel of Matthew. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, 
the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matin, and Matin the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, I know a few of you are drifting off during that. I know it. It's like you read that and you're like, oh, I hope that's not the first part of this Bible reading plan. You know? It's like a, a cup of nighty-night tea. It's because in our culture, in our country, this stuff feels so irrelevant to us. And yet, in Israel, it was anything but irrelevant. It was so relevant. I mean, it had to do with their very life. It had to do with their story. You know, we, we kind of look at it as, as uh, you know, kind of like uh, curiosity. You know, if you wanted to know your family tree, you'd probably go to one of the websites. I'm trying to remember what the websites are called. Ancestry.com. That's right. Kelly Ripa's kind of advertising that one right now. And she found out she's from Italy and her dad or grandpa or somebody makes macaroni. And so it's like, oh, wow, well, that's really significant. And, you know, to us, it's just kind of like a, a, a hobby. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's fascinating. It's curious. But to them, it had to do with my identity. This links me and grounds me into a story that goes way back. This is what validates me. This is what gives me the right to the entitlements, if there are any, that go with it. Now, the interesting thing about this particular genealogy, if you think about back then, in that time, if you were going to write a genealogy, would it be with fathers and, and with men, or would it be with women and mothers? Which one do you think it would be back in that day? Very definitely with men and with fathers. I mean, women did not establish bloodlines. They didn't have legal rights in those days. They were typically not found in an important genealogy like the genealogy of Jesus. So a reader 
who would start with Matthew's gospel, it would make sense when, when he started to go through Abraham, right? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, all that to be expected. But then in verse 3, he says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. He sticks a woman right there in, in this genealogy. It would be out of place to the average reader of that day. And not just any woman, but we're talking about Tamar. I mean, if you remember the backstory of her life found in Genesis chapter 38, I mean, Tamar was married to Judah's son, Ir, and Ir died because he was wicked. And so she's left alone in the world. Now, it was the responsibility of her father-in-law, Judah, to properly take care of her, and he doesn't. He reneges on his promise. He's a covenant breaker to Tamar. So you know what she does? She's desperate. I mean, she's all alone. And this person who was supposed to care for her wasn't. She has no legal rights. And so Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute, puts a veil over her face, goes to a roadside where she knew that Judah would come by. And she waits. And he comes by. He doesn't recognize her. He ends up sleeping with her. And he gives her his staff and his seal as a pledge that he'll come back and pay her for her services. And then he goes home. A few months later, Judah finds out that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, is pregnant. And he gets all self-righteous. And he says in uh, 30, Genesis 38, verse 24, he says, bring her out. Let's burn her. He's going to execute her. And so she is brought out in front of the people, and right before she's executed, she says, by the way, I am pregnant, and the man uh, who impregnated me is the person who owns the staff and the seal. Anybody know who this is? And Judah is shocked. He realizes what he's done. He stops the execution, and he repents. Now, you think your family has some troubles? You, I mean, your dysfunction is at no level, probably, compared to this. Matthew puts Tamar, this woman, in Jesus' story. This daughter-in-law, dressed up like a prostitute, sleeps with her father-in-law, and one of her children, her son, Perez, becomes one of the Messiah's ancestors. Matthew goes on, again, against all convention of the day, and he highlights her in the family tree. And then, he's, and then he highlights somebody else in verse 5. He goes on, he says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose Mother was Rahab. You remember Rahab? I mean, here's another woman. She's not an Israelite. She's a Gentile. She's a pagan. She lives in the city of Jericho. And she doesn't just dress up like a prostitute. She is a prostitute. And because of that, she lived kind of inside or on the side of the city as part of the wall of the city. And so when Joshua goes into the promised land to take Jericho, he is actually could have been he could have been uh, discovered uh, in this recon mission he's on. But Rahab ends up opening her heart for whatever reason to Joshua and his recon team, and he, she lets him lets him hide out. And so he's so grateful. He says, "When we come back to destroy the city, all I want you to do is put a star scarlet cord out your window, and when we see it, we're going to save you and your family, everybody that's part in your." in your house, and everyone else is going to be wiped out. And so she is saved through that scarlet cord. And Matthew's readers, one more time, sees this woman, a Gentile, no less, scandal. 
And then he goes on and he says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Ruth, another woman. And not just anybody, not even just any Gentile. She's a Moabite. The Moabites were the product of an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. And so because they so despised the Moabites, they were never permitted to be part of the community of faith in Israel. Matthew, the writer of this family tree, says she gets to be in the story too. And then we see Bathsheba mentioned, Uzziah's wife. And, and, and you know that story. David violates her. Folks, this is not called patting your resume. This is like keeping it real. And the genealogy ends with Mary, who is this pregnant virgin who's betrothed to Joseph, scandal. Matthew, what are you thinking? Don't you know how to write a genealogy? And Matthew is saying, this is not so much a record of what justifies Jesus to be Messiah as much as it is Jesus justifying a bunch of imperfect people. Christ identifying with the outcast. Christ identifying with the person that was pushed down in society. Christ identifying with the sinner. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, oh, Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. See, he even puts them in his family tree. I love that. That means I fit. You think to yourself, possibly, man, I'm too messed up. You don't know my life. You don't know the bridges that I've burned. Maybe you're here and you think, man, my mistakes are too big. I don't fit. I'm not sure I even fit in something like this. I'm not sure that God would ever really love me. And Jesus would say to you, are you kidding? Look at my family tree. You fit right in. You have no idea what I can do in your life if you'll just open your heart. If you'll just open your heart. Jesus had a name often used derogatorily towards him. You want to know what the name was? Friend of sinners. Friend of sinners. You know, you want to get at Jesus, you call him the friend of sinners. Author and sociologist Tony Campolo tells the story about a time that he was in Hawaii. And he describes this time when he got up very early in the morning because of the time change. He ends up in Hawaii, super hungry. It's 3.30 in the morning, and he goes to a diner. And he's at this diner, and at the door of the diner, suddenly it swings open, and here's what he says, to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, and they sat at either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude, and I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman sitting next to me say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And her friend responded in a nasty tone. So, so what? What do you want from me? A birthday party? You want me to make you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. I was just telling you it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I get one now? Tony writes, he says, when I heard this, I made a decision. I sat and waited till the women left. And then I called to the guy behind the counter. I said to him, do they come in here every night? Yeah. The one right next to me, does she come here every night? Yeah. He said, her name is Agnes. 
She comes here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say tomorrow is her birthday. And I told, I told him, what do you say that you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? Well, the guy loved the idea. He told his wife and she said, that's wonderful. Agnes is one of those people that is so kind and so nice to so many people and nobody ever does anything for her. Look, I said, if it's okay with you, I'll come back tomorrow morning about 2.30 and I'll decorate the place. I'll even bring the birthday cake. No way, said Harry, that was his name. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. At 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I picked up crepe paper, decorations, made a sign, a big piece of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated that diner from one end to the other and I had the diner looking good. The, the, the woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out because at 3.15 in the morning, every prostitute in Honolulu was in that place. <laughs> Wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. And then at 3.30, on the dot, the door of the diner swung open and in comes Agnes and her friend. And I had everybody ready. I was the MC, And when they all came in, we screamed, happy birthday. And never have I seen, seen a person so flabbergasted, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs buckled. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. And she was led to one of the stools by the counter. And we all sang, happy birthday to her. And we came to the end of the singing. Happy birthday, dear Agnes. Happy birthday to you. Her eyes moistened. And then when the birthday cake with all the candles was brought out, she just lost it and she openly cried. Harry gruffed, mumbling, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to blow out the candles. And after a couple endless seconds, that's what he did. He went ahead and blew out the candles. And then he handed her a knife and he said, cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, cut the cake. We want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake and then without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, is it all right with you if I mean, what I want to ask is, is it okay if I just keep the cake a little while? I mean, if it's all right, I just don't want to eat the cake right away. Harry shrugged. Sure, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. You can take it home if you want to. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. She got off the stool, picked up that cake, carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, and walked slowly towards the door. And as we all just stood there motionless, she left. And when the door had closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems a little strange to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. So I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed. I prayed that God would be good to her. And when I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? 
And in one of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) Harry paused, and he kind of sneered, and he answered, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join. I'd join a church like that. (laughs) Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all join a church like that? Love to be a part of a church that would throw a birthday party for a prostitute at 3.30 in the morning. That's the kind of church that Jesus came to create. In North Church, that's why we exist. That's why we are here. That if you've received God's grace in your life, you've experienced his unconditional love, if you've been on the receiving end, then let me just ask you this question. Who can you surprise with an unexpected gift of God's love? Who can you surprise with his goodness and his grace? Who are you praying for that you just long that they would know him, that he's a friend to sinners? Who is it that you could bring with you to Christmas Eve services? Remember, we're inviting people. We're inviting people because Jesus is not done. He wants to graft more people into his family. He came and he died because he cares and he loves And it doesn't matter if it's a prostitute or a beggar or a king or a CEO and everyone in between. He's still looking for people. He's calling them home. He's calling them to become a part of his family. See, the Christmas story is not just some story about Jesus in a manger. It's a story about God parachuting into our brokenness. God coming into our messed up families. God coming into those places where We're hurting because of loss. And he comes into the place of our brokenness and he brings something that only he can bring. He brings grace. He brings love. And he says, I want you to become a part of my family. God is not done writing your story. He's not done writing the story of your family. So many of us, we, we hurt around this time of year because of those losses, because of our brokenness, because we see things that are in disrepair in our relationships. And Christmas is a story of God's hope. And Jesus and his family tree is open to anybody and everybody, whoever would believe and whoever would open their heart to him. He says, come, be a part, and then watch what I will do through your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, that you love us and that you're not done in our lives. You're not done in our families. You're not done with us yet, Lord, and we just say yes to you. We open our hearts to you today, and we invite you in to those places of brokenness, to those places where we've experienced loss, where we're grieving. We open our hearts, God, to you in the area of our sin and our addictions, and we open our hearts to you today, wide open, and we say, Jesus, thank you for allowing me to become a part of your family. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for setting my life in a whole new direction because of you. We pray in Jesus' name.
Yeah, that offers us uh, a lot of opportunity to think through and pray through those folks that we can be inviting through the course of this month and this Advent season leading up to Christmas. So I know the Lord will be speaking to your heart and putting them on uh, in your thoughts as well. Uh, for this morning on your way out, if God's prompted your heart, if you'd be willing to serve in kids' ministry on one of the Christmas Eve services, please don't forget to sign up on your way out. If there's something that's on your heart, uh, you need prayer, you'd like someone to agree with you in prayer over whatever's going on, our prayer team will be over here on this side of the auditorium. They'd love to talk and pray with you. I will be meeting with any of those who are new or newer looking to get connected over here at First Connect, just under the monitor. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day and afternoon. Oh.